Okay, hello and welcome to From the Platform. This is episode six with me, Tom. And me, Naomi. And this episode, we're going to move on to René Descartes, his influence on the way that we think in the West. Do you have a snazzy title? Not yet. I'll think of that afterwards. Descartes is obviously famous for the Latin phrase. I think therefore I am, that one. Uh, Ergito cognito sum. Uh, who knows what that is, but yeah, it's I think, therefore I am. But before we get on to any of that, should we have a r- recap of last time? Because we got to Luther eventually. So we were looking at the Protestant Reformation and how the significant thing that happened from this was the fracturing of Christianity. And that was sort of because, so Luther started the idea of, we'll read the Bible and... Find out the truth for yourself. Yeah, like a more personal. Yeah, yeah. Quest Which then meant it. that there were as many denominations as there were basically people who read the Bible, essentially. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Although that was not Luther's intention. We see other people taking it further than he did, uh, like the Calvinists and the Anabaptists. And this idea of what are you true to? Because you were true to the church before, and what it said was truth. Now you're true to a particular interpretation of the Bible, which which is its own authority. So the, the argument from authority previously was from the Pope's mm. authority. Mm-hmm. Now it's from the authority of the scripture that you can read yourself. And so... And the doctrines that you, slash the people that you follow, have sort of decided on. Yeah. And so now there's this fragmentation of what you're true to. And at the end of the last episode, we we carried that trajectory on into the secular world. Because remember, at the same time as all this, the merchant class are all um, becoming quite powerful with their banks and institutions Mm. and insurance companies and stuff. And influencing the start of the scientific revolution as well, because you need lots of science to navigate and... Yeah, map the stars. Realise that actually the world is not the centre of the universe. We're going to pick up on that in a bit more in this episode. And yeah, this thing of like, what are you true to? And as secularism kind of overtakes the religious in the modern world, what you're true to, it ends up just being you and yourself, your set of truths. Because you're not now dependent on a scripture to kind of find your truth. You're dependent on like your own compass, moral compass that is pretty much anchored in whatever you want it to be anchored in in the, in the, in the digital world. The other important thing from the last episode was the fact that the Neoplatonic framework is kind of severed by Luther in that he says, well, he doesn't say this, but it ends up in this way, that it's all top down and there's no bottom up in in the way in which you achieve like a oneness with God. Calvinists take this to the extreme and say, it's all predetermined and God just arbitrarily chooses you. And so there's no way in which you can work your way up or, or start a process or enact anything to... To affect your own salvation. To affect your, yeah. or affect your relationship with God, yeah. Okay. It's not, in fact, it's not a relationship with God because it's all one way Okay. from God down. And you kind of, I guess you're, you're subservient to to God and it's not it's not relational it's kind of in one direction that's our recap of the last episode let's bring in René Descartes 
And he is coming at things from a kind of a different angle to Luther. Luther's gone completely top down. And although Descartes was Catholic and very religious, he wanted to figure out kind of an absolute concrete way of understanding what reality was. Descartes kind of does the opposite to Luther. He does a very bottom-up approach. He wants to find a really concrete way of understanding reality. And we'll, and we'll see how he approaches that. We're also going to look at what John Vivekey calls like a swathe of death that happens. And he's talking about the, the death of the universe with Galileo and the end of heliocentrism the death of like what our senses can tell us. And, and then with Descartes and his conversation with a guy called Hobbes, there's the death of the soul. And this is continual distancing of humans from any purpose in the world, which becomes quite challenging for the West. Uh, so we're going to touch on that. What else are we going to look at? We're going to look at how this affects Christianity and Christadelphians. So yeah, let, let's, let's see how Descartes is in comparison to Luther. Not that they're really comparable figures because one's dealing in spiritual matters and the other's dealing in science. Descartes was a Catholic, but he really wanted to find a real bottom-up approach to understanding what was real because he figured that he could, you could just doubt anything mm. and everything. So is Descartes like a, a sort of reaction against Lutheranism? No, not, not particularly. It's or the kind of top-down approach that emerged from there? Like, is there any link between the two? Not particularly. The The reason that they, they both come about at the same time and find their own methods is maybe a reaction to the, the scientific revolution coming into force. But they don't talk to each other. So I thought Descartes was more of a reaction against this whole, you know, John Vakey saying, oh, the death of the universe, the death of everything else, is that humans were really through... Christian faith and a sort of general mystical idea of the natural world around them, they had like a kind of certainty or a grounding in, you know, salvation and God is everywhere. God has put us into the very centre of creation. Everything revolves around us and we're fine. Or like, you know, um, like we're certain of that and we can trust that. Whereas in slowly... So, like, science started to sort of pull that apart. So there was the death of the universe. So, oh, we're not in the middle of the universe anymore. Then what does that mean? What does God think of us? And what were the other deaths? So the other one is, is that, like, the death that comes from not being able to trust our senses anymore. So it's like if... Yeah, so even the, though I watched the sun go over the earth, that's mm, not actually what's going on. And what mm, else was there? Well, it's a conversation between Descartes and Hobbes, which brings about the death of the soul, because... Because um, there's the idea, well, you know, you can say, oh, I've got a soul because I can do all these things. And he's saying, well, actually, no, a machine can do those things. This is what Hobbes says. Hobbes yeah, says, yeah. yeah, well, if I can get a, a machine to do computation, then, and this is like the very beginnings of artificial intelligence, then is that a, mm. a so Descartes does, does is it have a soul? Yeah. yeah. So Descartes, is, is it right to say that Descartes is basically reacting against this quite new scary world that they're in to say, well, what can I be sure mm, of? How yeah, do I even know yeah. that I'm me? Well, I'm thinking about the fact that I don't know if I know that I'm me, therefore I must be me. Yeah. It, I'm having these thoughts. I think if I have a consciousness, 
that can be deluded by other things. Like the, the, the illusion happens to my consciousness. But if I have consciousness, then I know that that's, that at least is not an illusion. Mm-hmm. Everything else could be an illusion, but my consciousness, mm. because it's very present and it doesn't touch anything else out in the world. I can be kind of safe in that. Mm. But and what does that have to do with um, like Christianity and Christelphians? So we'll get to that. I, I want to pick apart some more around this conversation between Hobbes and, and Descartes because it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Hobbes says he takes it's similar to what happens with Luther. Luther puts forward an idea and then um, other people take it to an extreme, like the Calvinists and the Anabaptists. So Descartes puts forward the idea that cognition, this this consciousness, that means that I am unique. And I have a, a soul of some sort. But because so, no one else is thinking my thoughts. Exactly. It's not like there's yeah, a load of me on yeah. a production line. And so Hobbes says, well, if I can create a machine that can have computation, then that does that have a soul? And Descartes is like, no, <laughs> definitely not. Because matter is, is inert. And this is another thing that has has died so the universe has died in in the sense that it no longer has a purpose the earth is just one spinning ball in in the universe it's not the center of it anymore and so it kind of it, it its purpose is depleted um, and reduced because mm, it, it's not the center as in it's not if the earth was the center of the universe that would give humans like this this idea imagine if we if, if like when they looked in the telescope it was like ah yeah we're the center of the universe that's or because god yeah. has chosen us there's a purpose and it's all like a- alive and and existing for the reason of humans but you look mm. in the telescope you go oh my goodness <laughs> like even like now it's even more extreme because we're looking in the James, whatever it is. James Webb telescope. James Webb. And we're just seeing like the colossal nature of the universe and being like, ah, we are entirely insignificant compared mm. to everything else. So we've got that times a thousand, but they, they had that in that kind of that first instance of like, oh, like, well, then what's the purpose if if we're not in the middle? And then there's the idea like, and if my senses don't tell me what's true, how can I trust that? And... Like there was this idea that things like like material had purpose as well. Everything was was doing something for a reason, and then the, the, that also dies. And I can't remember who it is that proposes that material things are inert and there is no purpose to them other than what we give them, like as humans gives them purpose for. Like mm. the value in some wood is a story that we tell. To do, it's like a human-centric story. Yeah, and depending on what the human wants from the wood as well. Mm. If if they want fruit, then they let the tree live and they... Yeah, or a ship or fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's actually kind of more like, it's about the value of what the human wants in order to kind of change the material, which is inert, and give it its purpose. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have an, an innate purpose itself. And so coming back to Descartes and Hobbes' conversation... Descartes is saying to Hobbes, material doesn't care what you want it to do. I can still only see this in a Calvin and Hobbes um, party. (laughs) He's definitely an imaginary tiger. 
So he's saying that something made out of material can never have consciousness because they realize that it has no purpose, whereas humans have purposefulness that they can engage in. And and that comes from their consciousness. So that's a, like a really interesting kind of conversation that happens between them. And it's the it's the beginning of artificial intelligence. And just the fact that, that this Pandora's box is opened by Hobbes in the same way that Luther opens a box and everybody else starts playing with it in ways that he didn't want them to. Mm-hmm. Descartes opens a box and everyone starts playing with it in ways that he didn't want them to as well. So this idea of humans losing their agency and like this ever narrowing kind of band of what is real kind of even shrinks to like your your mind if if your mind can be recreated by material things then mm. then what are we like yeah yeah it started with the solar system and now it's gone down to mm, mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. Uh, actual thoughts and so yeah there's now this desire to build it all back up atom by atom from the bottom up so that we can have this kind of security in what is real. And I think this is an interesting thing that affects Christians and especially Christadelphians is because you have to have your first principles, your building blocks of your faith depend on like a if this, then that method of mm-hmm. rationality with the bible does that make sense not really so you're saying that so how does that compare to this bit of philosophy so if we don't know what's real and we have to start from a, just i think therefore i am in the scientific world but in the kind of the christian world especially that the christadelphian world there's this kind of like you've got to start with your bible basics and then build on top of them in a logical way Mm-hmm. Because whenever you do a Bible study, you often find the pattern of, right, let's go right back down to the Greek word where we can have the most confidence in what that means. Mm-hmm. And then if we can get that Greek word to, and we can nail it down to mean a thing, then we can scaffold Bible verses together to kind of climb the ladder of intelligibility up to some conclusions mm. so you're kind of saying God. there's a similar thing in that happened to human knowledge and humans having a bit of an ex- existential crisis about what is true about me and my importance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're kind of saying that's similar to the way a protestant has to study the bible mm. as in you have to try and find well if the pope isn't going to tell me what the truth is i've got to kind of find truth in the bible and that means kind of splitting it down to kind of tiny little kind of units of truth mm-hmm. yeah because if you imagine a, a typical christadelphian view if somebody would have to say oh i had a vision or the holy spirit entered me and i had an experience of the truth mm-hmm. oh i saw a saint recording brother on my toast <laughs> <laughs> it's a miracle uh, robert roberts um <laughs> in my tea leaves <laughs> <laughs> that that would be a totally invalid thing for a Christadelphian. It has to be based in the capital T truth, which is this kind of bottom-up, rational, scaffolded 
mm. truth. There's no mystical experience that you can have that gives you truth. It's all bottom up. So I think Descartes really... In terms of finding truth. Mm. But whereas Luther, he started off the Protestant Reformation, his idea in terms of salvation is top down, isn't it? Just to yeah. kind of contrast yeah, those yeah, two yeah. things. So we talk about mm -hmm. two separate mm -hmm. things. One is salvation. One is searching for the truth and meaning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because with Luther... So he wants people to read the Bible for themselves so they can see that the Catholic Church's ideas around paying money to get out of purgatory and indulgences is a load of baloney. Like you just read it plainly for yourself that that is not scriptural principle. Mm -hmm. But then I think with Descartes coming along alongside, I think especially within Christadelphian Protestantism, we've got more of the Descartes kind of logic and reasoning than maybe Luther's kind of top-down revelation sort of thing because Luther would be for spiritual experiences in the church service like the liturgy then the ritual being you know unfolding the church service for you to have a an emotional spiritual experience top-down from God that Luther would be all right with mm -hmm. that but I think as history has gone on and and as this secularism has has come in as well as what you are true to, that's questioning all the time the experiences of, of these these religious experiences, and so it's almost like to prove to everybody else that the Bible is true and that God exists. More recent Protestantism has gone down this need to build a scaffold from the bottom up, a kind of concrete way of understanding the Bible to be true. And do you think there is any issues with that? Yeah, I think there is because it becomes a house of cards because as soon as you just, when you start scaffolding things from the, from the bottom up, you pull one thing out and the whole thing can collapse because mm. it's scaffolded. But surely that's how we should think about things. And if you pull one thing out and it turns out it's false, then it's false. Mm. So that question in and of itself is kind of, the point of this series of the podcast because it shows how the scientific revolution affects the way we think mm -hmm. and it's not my agenda to make us think differently to the scientific revolution is clearly a good way of thinking but my point i think is this is not how the writers of the bible thought to try and get into their mindset it's very very challenging because they lived such a long time ago mm, but, can't you look at the like contemporary philosophers and stuff it, well it depends when you're dating the bible to, to say who the contemporary philosophers are but for like the writings of paul you could you could say who the contemporary philosophers are. uh yes probably and paul does seem to have more of a uh there's a few passages where it says that and he proved things to them using logic mm -hmm. but not the hyperlogic that we have post-scientific revolution. Mm -hmm. uh, that's interesting because I've got a sort of a voice saying, well, that's exactly what he did do. He used the Bible. And I guess I'm maybe projecting back on assuming, well, that's how Paul and other apostles and everyone did do their teaching. You proved it from the Bible. Mm -hmm. I remember asking someone. But what does it mean to prove it from the Bible? Because 
he might be proving it from the Bible by uh, inviting people into the narrative of the Bible and to participate in the, the narrative. That might be how you prove something to be true. But since Descartes specifically, proving it to be true means starting from the very bottom of like zero assumptions and scaffolding your way up from a place of concreteness, like real solid, solid ground foundations and things. So who thinks like that? Sorry, where does that come in? Uh, that's Descartes. Like, I think, therefore, I am. Like the the way he's As in, getting sorry, to you're understand saying that reality. We we that's the way we think about things. We've adopted that okay. uh, in the Western yeah. world. So I think what I meant is that my idea of how like New Testament like preachers worked is that they used the Christadelphian method. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Which is just kind of projecting. Yeah. 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 So yeah, when we read Paul proved to them this or that we think and like proved it scientifically like so a scientific experiment creates an environment that you are an observer of you're separate from the experiment right so you can control all of the parameters apart from maybe the one that you're testing and then you as an outside observer measure what's happening right Mm-hmm. So it's this, it's the scientific revolution is, where, and that, that's why Descartes goes all the way back into his own mind, because he's like, what's the, where's the furthest I can step away from everything, and that's into just my consciousness. Like, there's no further back that I can step mm-hmm. to observe it and measure it, and when you do this stepping outside as an observer, you're no longer participating in anything you're just measuring from a from like a third point mm-hmm. and but i think there's something particularly profound about the compelling nature of the bible that invites you to not step back and measure it all but step into it and participate so this is, comes into where john vaker talks about the different ways of knowing like uh, you get propositional knowing which is this mm-hmm. knowing of textbook knowledge can i just check i've followed you so far yeah okay so i asked but surely if you take up one bit and it all falls down then that just means that what you're believing is false so Mm -hmm. you shouldn't believe it anymore Mm -hmm. because i've definitely had concerns about that in the past when it's sort of like you can imagine in any other situation convincing someone of anything else if you had people who started to say oh well if that bit doesn't make sense and it doesn't matter, or just kind of think of it more fluidly, think of it like a web, things do all kind of like connect fluidly together. Mm-hmm. Then I'd think, well, someone is trying to con you. Like mm-hmm. it sounds like, you know, someone's trying to like scam you or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, or yeah, emotionally manipulate you. Um, but you're saying that actually you can you can kind of step away from what you termed hyperlogic in applying it to the Bible and Christianity. Because actually if you just go kind of the Descartes route and absolutely cut everything down to logic, including your own brain, am mm, I really mm. thinking about this, etc., you're not kind of participating in it. So you're saying that actually there's value to thinking in a non-logical, non-kind of proving it way. because ex- you an can experiential just... way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because when you ex- have do an experiment, you have to sit back and you can't be part of the experiment. That's the... So there's no bias. But actually, there's a different way of looking at religion 
that Christadelphians in particular or Protestants in particular have honed in so, uh, yeah, so extremely down the sort of scientific mm-hmm. um, method way that actually you've missed out of the embodied part and yeah. we can do a middle way yeah there is yeah. there has like what i was going to say is it involves both like so that there's three there's three analogies that i've used recently in a talk like images so you have to this is a podcast so you have to pitch them in your mind the first one is a circle but it's made up of lots of straight lines that hatch around it i hope that makes sense so it gives the impression of a circle from a distance but when you zoom into it you realize that it's just a many-sided shape and the more lines you add to it it's just a growing many-sided shape it's mm-hmm. never it never reaches circularity mm. because it's made up of lines so no matter how many kind of logic arguments and ways you pick apart all the words and the translations you never quite reach your goal of something mm. and what is that mm. something well the i think it, this this kind of maps neatly onto the law and love so god wanted the children of israel to experience his love he wanted to write it on their hearts but when they were too scared to approach the mountain they send moses and moses comes back with basically a bunch of straight lines uh in the law um to represent what was initially uh, meant for the Israelites, which was this relationship, something that was the circle and the law is just the straight lines. And therefore, the the more laws that you add, the the more that you can hem in your behaviour, but you're never going to actually go and make the leap into the circle which you arrive at by a completely different stroke which is just loving someone because you love them doing Mm -hmm. yeah treating someone as you want to be treated because you love them not because you're following all the tiny rules yeah and then the other image relates more to descartes because descartes invented the graph he invents the graph by lying in bed in a tiled room that's tiled on the floor and on the walls and he and a fly is buzzing around and he realizes that at any point in the room he if he paused the fly he could know exactly where it is by the the tiling system like the, the three walls. dimensions of the tiles yeah, yeah. yeah. but to, to take, we're taking a two-dimensional graph and this is where there's a particular equation that you can run and it creates a a, a line that goes a, along the x-axis right to left and starts curving up the um y-axis um exponentially and the equation provides you with a line that always gets closer to zero, but never actually meets it. And it's called an asymptotic line, an asymptote. So there's this line that never meets zero. It keeps on going up. So they were quite visual analogies and maybe a bit challenging to imagine. Maybe pause and <laughs> Google asymptotic line just to help yourself out. But I really like the asymptotic line as an analogy because it's like if zero is love and the the line is the law, the the law will get closer and closer and closer, but it'll never reach love. There's always going to be a gap and you have to jump across it. So you kind of say there's only so many rules you can obey and sort of pick apart and add in more and more and more tiny rules to make sure that you're doing the right thing Mm -hmm. but they'll never do the same thing as just genuinely loving someone and wanting to yeah we need both of these things 
really. We need some sort of scaffolding that... Uh, here's an analogy that, that Emma Gilchrist uses, and it's to do with movement. It's And he says that in order to move, you need friction, right? But too much friction and you'll stop. Mm-hmm. So actual movement, like the moving of your feet along the floor, requires you to have some... Because if you had no friction at all, you'd just slip over. You wouldn't be able to... And you would get no, no purchase and you wouldn't be able to move forward. Purchase. Love that term. But too, too much friction and you, you stop. You need this kind of equilibrium of something to hold you to, to, to get that friction to get start moving but it should it shouldn't hold you back afterwards it should, it should be a tool for getting you somewhere so the the law is this kind of friction that should enable you to move forward into love mm-hmm. but the more you focus on the thing that is the friction the more you'll just come to a standstill mm-hmm. yeah that's a nice analogy that actually if you get bogged down in the proving and the legalism of it all, mm-hmm. you actually don't get anywhere. I think this is what happens in the book of Job. Like the friends just come to an absolute standstill because they are bickering over the f- absolute minutiae and the finite details of exactly how God works. And when God comes along, he takes Job and just goes on this grand tour of all of creation. This, he, he provides him with an experience mm-hmm. that compels him to change rather than an argument that mm-hmm. proves it to me he's uh, job has already been doing the legal stuff to the point where he's sacrificing just in case his sons and daughters have mm-hmm. done something wrong so he's got that bit he's got all the lines but he's missing the circle and he meets the circle when god appears at the end and shows him like bear him off bear him off in leviathan he's like this is the living moving reason for things and so, yeah, I think in the Western world, we're too bogged down in the, in the friction and the, and the lines and trying to get that curve closer and closer to zero when actually there is another stroke, another way of doing something that provides you with the insight that all of those other lines and laws were pointing you towards. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, it feels like this is another way of just saying most of the stuff we've said in all of the podcasts, isn't it? It's just, we obviously want rules and laws because that's much easier. It takes a lot mm-hmm. less brain power to do. And it also means that there's an in and out and you can, if you're going to act within organised religion, you need some kind of rules to say what is your group, what defines you and mm-hmm. therefore kind of what rules are in and out. So it's just that constant thing of going to the other side where you say, actually, let's just go straight in with the analogue or the circle. Let's go straight in mm-hmm. with, I'm just going to love people and treat them how I would want to be treated. That looks different to different people. Mm. And yeah, it's a lot more scary and you have to do more th- a lot more thinking about it. You have to be a lot more aware, self-aware when you're yeah, doing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And when you're mm. tired, mm. you can be bothered. I think for me, in my journey the thing that i i realized with the whole scientific revolution thing though is because what you're saying is true i think chris evans know all this but they, they know it in terms of the law we can see the disparity between the law and love we can see that it does the law doesn't fulfill love 
Yeah, it, it doesn't take you there. There's, there's, a mm-hmm. leap, there's, a, there's a gap. And Jesus had to live that. Jesus had to live in the gap between love and the law to show us where the law was lacking. Mm. But at the same time, he does that and he fulfills it. And I think in our efforts to prove the Bible to be true, we are using a very legalistic approach, which is culturally ingrained and it uses the grammar and vocabulary of the scientific revolution. And we're not seeing that that is stopping us in our tracks. Mm-hmm. Christadelphians are using the logic and rationality of the scientific revolution to the same extent that the law was being used to try and point to love. And that's causing a friction that isn't getting us anywhere. I think I may have referred to it before, but we, we knew of a brother who would go online onto evolution forums just to pick these fights and like, you know, go on. Sort of antagonize people. Yeah. And, and <laughs> no one's and convincing like, anyone. And so he'd throw in all these proofs about how uh, evolution's wrong and creation is real. But to try and get someone who believes in evolution to believe in creation, you have to bring them all the way back to some sort of baseline that has concrete ground for them. And then piece by piece build up this argument that has to make sense at every step of the way for them. And my main point is I don't think you can use that set of logic with the creation account. Like because it's not using that hyperlogic mm-hmm. to scaffold together anything to do with how the world was physically manifested. It's providing you with a an account of a temple inauguration of seven days in which God comes and enters his temple of creation. It's a it's a narrative that you participate in and you get the truth from it by being in the narrative, not by stepping outside of the narrative and trying to slice up and turn it into something that scaffolds together neatly in a scientific way. So we're sort of moving away from the idea of love now and it's more about kind of faith. So the idea there's certain things in the Bible you can't apply this sort of scientific method to because they're just not presented in that way yeah so if you try to you're gonna you're always gonna come up with more gaps it's yeah, always yeah. gonna Tie be you always because you're trying to draw a circle with lines and the more lines you put in to try and say that there's a circle there you're still not any closer to set to, to having mm. a circle you've still got a many-sided shape let me explain this bit a little bit better. um so one of the things that John Vake talks about is the having mode and the being mode. And he say, says how in advertising, you can be sold a way of being. So yet your shampoo commercial has somebody like just being really flamboyant with their hair, waving about, super confident. And it's like, you can become this confident by having this shampoo. Or you can you can have this style and and masculinity by wearing this aftershave. So they give you something that you can be, and then present you with that, and then they tell you what you ha- can have in order to become that. And just by buying the shampoo, you do not become more confident, mm-hmm. and you don't become more spiritual by having a list of beliefs. Okay, not necessarily. No. What define what do you define spiritual as? Oof, crikey, yeah. 
Um, yeah, it just seems like one of those words that you can sort of, because it's quite indefinable, you can be you can be condescending to other people and say they don't have it. Mm-hmm. Would you use another word instead yourself? Well, we've talked about this a lot recently about what is spirituality and do you need it and is it important in life? And yeah, I currently don't know and I'm not particularly bothered about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I... S- it's a it's a way of being. It's a being mode thing where I guess it's it's just occurred to me, when I hear people say like, Oh, I'm quite a spiritual person, that generally means that they think there's something else apart from what scientific theory can say mm. about the world. Mm. So I guess it's sort of oh, you know, I sort of, you know, maybe I do believe in like ghosts or um like secular spirituality you know um tarot or uh, yeah i guess yeah maybe not necessarily but even just sort of you know uh the importance of mindfulness and mm. thinking about mm. yourself and being open to ideas and not being kind of really rigid mm. and closed-minded mm. about things i guess is a sort of more recent secular mm. way of describing yourself as spiritual isn't it yeah and it's that thing of attending to the world in a way that isn't necessarily rational. Mm-hmm. It is, for me, accepting that some things come top down to you rather than bottom up. Mm. Because to believe in something coming from the top down means that something's up there. <laughs> mm. And what, uh, do you em- have an example of down that? To you. So as in something that God sort of gives to you that is out of... Uh, kind of rationality and what would an example of that be Hmm. in my own life Hmm. i mean not necessarily personally you but so some people have that kind of um a certain set of events all coming together at the same time Mm -hmm. like it's too coincidental and it must have come from the top down or a resonance like and so this is why kind of sacred texts are considered spiritual because something written such a long time ago strikes you in a profound way that gives you an insight that comes completely from left field. It just arrives and it's like, where did that come from? So the the question of insight is one of, does insight come bottom up or top down? Like we've talked about this before. There is a sense in which it's both. It needs to be the relationship between both things because insight as a musician, the musician is required to have learned their scales, practice their instrument, and then they are now a container for creative insight. Oh, of course, that, then this chord sequence, these words, these extra other instrumentation, it all comes together in a kind of a moment of insight. There's a methodical way of doing it, but I imagine something like some of Mozart's work wasn't like constructed bottom up it was a lot of it was inspired Mm -hmm. and lots of artists say this like they feel like they are a conduit for Mm -hmm. their creativity and it comes from outside of them so this is all kind of this all all ties into it so we're talking about a lot of kind of protestant ways of doing christianity is very bottom up in terms Mm. of looking for truth and ways to salvation Mm. and 
why is that a bad thing, basically? Mm. So you're saying that it kind of misses out the idea of just spirituality rather than kind of as opposed to more scientific ways of thinking. Mm. Yeah, and I guess I was asking why. Why is that important to have spirituality? Because I think it's a lot to do with love. All of the law and the prophets hang on this thing top down. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul and love your neighbour as yourself. Everything else hangs off of that. Everything else emanates from love top down. Mm. But it seems like throughout the, the story of the Old Testament is that the children of Israel come to the mountain and they're too scared to hear God speak that to them. God wants to write it on their hearts. And when they refuse, he has to construct it bottom up by putting it on tablets of stone because he can't go directly into the heart top down. He has to then give them something that provides them with a bottom up route to the same place. Making sense? Yeah. So you're saying the idea of spirituality is kind of conflated, is related to the idea of principles in the bible that aren't necessarily nailed down to verses mm. but more to do with maybe the teachings of jesus mm -hmm. when he kind of says you know here's an overall principle for you to apply to lots mm -hmm. of things um which isn't necessarily a kind of scientific that's what it says mm. do that because you've got to have more nuance yeah because imagine if jesus goes to the cross and he's like right well i need a step-by-step -step process for this entire thing, bottom up, else I'm not going to do it. He wouldn't have done it. He has to step into the the space of love and wait for something that is entirely top-down to come and rescue him. I mean, he is the container, like in the same way that the musician is the container for the inspiration. Jesus empties himself of, of his own desires and allows himself to be filled with with God. So there's that element of he has to, you know, whatever that takes in terms of going out to the hill and praying, reading his scriptures, like walking in the ways of God, becoming that vessel. But then at the end, it's a, a surrendering and a giving himself over to and having faith in the, the top down. And I don't see that in the kind of mechanical and atomistic way of attending to scripture because one of the, i guess one of the biggest kind of criticisms of christians have of themselves is that that they can become too intellectual and just spend all their time with their head looking at the connections between passages and never actually going out and doing anything <laughs> so this episode's kind of gone off on a tangent in some ways we've touched on Descartes and to be honest we could continue with western philosophical thinking and if we did we'd move through thinkers that become more and more rational that lead to things like the industrial revolution in England and the continual separation of the secular and the, and the sacred but both of them going down this rational route that ends in what I see today in Christadelphia is trying to prove, for example, the creation account using a scientific method, trying to use geology as an argument for the flood happening and those sorts of things. But I feel like towards the, the, the latter half of this, this episode is kind of tapped into something that's got more to it. 
which is the idea of what does it mean to be spiritual. If people agree with me and they see that the continual rationalization and the, the narrowing of logic isn't aiding us in any way in terms of our relationship with God, it's just getting us into corners, it's just polarizing us, it's just making us nitpick over things that actually have a much broader spiritual meaning to them like the creation story like the more we go down the narrow rabbit hole of trying to prove whether it was scientifically accurate or not the the, the further away we get from its spiritual message so like i think maybe the podcast can now kind of turn almost back towards what we were looking at in the first series which was how do we how do we back out of the, the tunnel how do we how do we move out of that narrow focus and start to bring in those other perspectives in a way that that doesn't make us scared of them but makes us integrate makes us see bigger broader pictures that that mean we can get a bit more perspective and have have all that bottom-up work that we've been doing as christadelphians in mapping out the bible and making all of those references and biblical links in in thematic links and all those sorts of things And, and then try and find some more of this top down like the space between our ideas the space between different parts of christadelphia different people within christadelphia one idea that i've had is to actually start maybe inviting people onto the podcast and getting some different perspectives that mean and perspectives not not to set them up in a debate kind of format to kind of say this is your idea well this is my idea let's now try and advocate for the best one but to try and get some more of that betweenness of those ideas find that middle ground not not even the middle ground in terms i don't want to just end up with like everyone agreeing and having a nice time this should be a space for disagreement but but it's a way of listening and and yeah finding that that betweenness as it were but yeah i think we'll, we'll tend towards something more like that and maybe get some more voices on as well okay well we'll see how we get on with organizing that and we'll see you next time bye